Happy Valentine's Day Sunday. I think it is appropriate that I wear a red tie and that I tell you that I love you. Not because it's Valentine's Day do I tell you that I love you. I told you that last week. I'm going to tell you that again next week. It has nothing to do with the holiday, but it has to do with the fact that indeed I do love you. Providentially today, we find ourselves in a text of scripture which describes a very specific form of brotherly love, and that is hospitality. So here's what's going to happen today. I'm going to read a passage of scripture, then I'm going to explain it, then I'm going to give you six application principles, followed by five very specific actions that you can immediately apply even today, perhaps. Our text of scripture is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. If you would please turn to that passage and stand, listen respectfully as I read it, and then we will go to the Lord in prayer. Listen to the voice of God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Our Father in heaven today, We, by nature, are not hospitable. Uh, We, Lord, are selfish, and Lord, we are protective of our things and of our time. But Lord, we want to change. We want to be different. We want to be like you. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts today would be softened and corrected. I pray, Lord, that we would be given grace through the gospel to be inclined toward hospitality, and then, Lord, I pray that you would give us the practical wisdom to carry that out in light of the gospel. We're dependent upon you, and, Lord, we are anticipating that you will do great things through the proclamation of the word today. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Point of the Bible is Jesus. Point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than anything in Judaism. And then the point of this last chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, is that we are to be doers of the word, that faith without works is dead. Last week, we looked at verse 1. Four English words, an imperative, a command, let brotherly love continue. Now, as he moves on to verse 2, he's going to describe a very specific and very practical form of love, and that is hospitality. As we move into this verse and we look at, you're going to notice that it is written with a negative formulation. Uh, it says, do not, there's the negative, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. It doesn't say that you are to show hospitality, but it says that you are not to neglect it. Um, hospitality, it literally reads in the Greek, hospitality, do not neglect. And it carries with it the idea of do not forget. And so if you're reading the NIV this morning, it will say, do not forget. Or if you're reading the King James Version, it will say, be not forgetful. Or if you're reading the New King James Version, it will say, do not forget. Or if you're reading the literal standard version, it says, do not be forgetful, of hospitality. And I stress this point because in order to forget something, you first have to know it. I've never forgotten one thing that I ever learned about trigonometry. Seeing as how I never took the course, I didn't forget anything. In order to forget something, you have to know it first. Well, these people to whom this was originally written were Jewish Christians who were living in Rome about the year AD 66, and they knew a lot about 
hospitality. We know for certain that they knew many things about hospitality. First of all, they knew something about hospitality because the early church met in homes. In order for them to have a gathering, a home would have to be provided for them to meet. And so if you were a Christian and you were in a church, you, by definition, knew something about hospitality. This would have especially been true in Rome under the reign of Nero, where at this time persecution from the Roman government was about to become very intense. You could not meet publicly. Churches and gatherings had to be done in homes, and so hospitality was synonymous with Christianity. Furthermore, Before they were Christians, they were Jews. And as Jews, they knew something from the law of God about hospitality. It says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns or travels with you as the native. You need to treat the one who's just passing through as if he lives here, as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself. Why? For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord Jehovah, Yahweh, your God. And so you used to be strangers in Egypt, and now you need to treat strangers who come your way as though they are one of you. That's repeated in Deuteronomy 10.19 in the Law of Moses. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So as Jews, they all knew the Holy Scriptures, and they knew that it was commanded. Plus, they knew about hospitality, since they would have been Bible readers, and they would have seen it exemplified many times in the Old Testament. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 18, we see Abraham and Sarah showing hospitality to three visitors. One of them was the Lord, two of them were angels. We also see hospitality shown from Gideon to a person that turned out to be the angel of the Lord in Judges chapter 6, and Samson's parents in Judges chapter 13 extended hospitality. Even in the story of the Lord Jesus on the day in which he was raised from the dead, as he makes a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, once he gets there, what is shown to him by the two disciples that he traveled with, it was hospitality. So they would have known hospitality experientially, they would have known it exegetically, they would have known it by example, but now they need to be reminded not to forget what they learned and what they perceived and what they practiced. Now, why would this command have been given at this time to these people? Why did they need this reminder? Well, I'll give you at least three reasons why perhaps the author chose to insert this command right here. Uh, Number one is that these people were facing potential persecution and martyrdom. Uh, These people were thinking about giving up Christianity altogether. The reason why they were thinking about giving it up was perhaps because if they were found to be Christians, and as Christians they were housing other Christians or they were hosting Christian gatherings or Christian meetings or Christian fellowship, they might have to pay for it with prison or even with their own lives. And so you need to be reminded to continue to show hospitality, to not forget it, to not neglect it, because you might be backing off from hospitality because you don't want to be around too many Christians, and you sure don't want the government to find you meeting with Christians in your home. Another reason why hospitality was needed, and maybe this is part of the reason why this command is given at this time, is that 
fellow believers in Rome who would have become Christians would have been kicked out of their own families if they were Jewish. You're a first century Jew and you go home and you announce that you're going to start worshiping Jesus of Nazareth, your family is going to disown you. They are going to have a funeral for you. And when that happens, you're going to need to have somewhere to stay. And so as they would have been disowned, the person was going to need help. And that help was not going to come from public assistance. They needed fellow Christians in the church to extend housing to them so that they would have proper lodging. Uh, There's a third reason, and I think this may be the main reason why this command is given. It may have been given because various missionaries would travel from place to place, even as Sebastian read about earlier from the book of 3 John. They would be traveling from place to place, and when they would come into a town, uh, they would need a place to stay. Uh, The reason why they would need to stay with someone in their home is because in the ancient Near East, hotels were dirty, they were expensive, they were dangerous, and they were places which were customarily uh, houses of ill repute. Hotel, motel, holiday inn, there was no such thing. And so when a believer would come into a town, it would be the practice of the local church in the first century and the second century to find that person someplace to stay and that they would live with them or they would stay with them during their visit. You, and in order for this to happen, you needed great love, you needed great flexibility, and you needed great generosity. Uh, the reason why you needed flexibility is because you did not get any kind of notice or warning, not weeks, not days, sometimes not even hours in advance, would you know that someone would be coming into your town needing a meal and needing a bed. And so it would be very difficult when you were traveling from one place to another without a GPS or without a roadmap, or without any kind of information to know or to gauge exactly what time of day someone would be arriving in your town. You didn't have a phone. You couldn't let them know. And so in the ancient Near East, guests would arrive when guests would arrive, and when they arrived, you had to be immediately ready to show them hospitality. So, for example, you'll remember the story of Lot in Genesis chapter 19, Two angels come into Sodom. They are there for the purpose of rescuing Lot and his family. And it says in Genesis 19.3, he, that is speaking of Lot, pressed them strongly. Like he was, he was urging them so that, um, so they turned aside to him and entered his house and he made them a feast and baked them unleavened bread and they ate. He, he pressed them saying, I don't want you to stay out here in the city square, come into my house. And when he came into his house, Lot immediately went to work to get them something to eat. He didn't know that they were angels, but he knew that he needed to exercise hospitality. He saw two unfamiliar people in the town square and he, Lot, initiated the invitation for them to say, stay there. The same thing happens over in Judges chapter 19. You'll remember that there was uh, an overextension of hospitality, which caused the man and his concubine to get a late start. And as such, when they arrive in Gibeah, 
There is this old man who sees the man and his concubine. He recognizes them as strangers, and they are again in the city square. I guess this is where strangers would go in order to be invited to stay somewhere. And it says in Judges 19.18, the man says, the man who is traveling with his concubine says to the old man who is going to be his host that night, He thinks it's very strange, and he says, no one has taken me into his house. That's why we're out here in the open right now. No one has extended hospitality to me. And so the old man sees this. What does the old man do in Judges 19.20? The old man says, peace be to you. I will care for all of your wants. That, by definition, is hospitality. I will care for all of your wants, only do not spend the night in the square. Side note, uh, this man turned out to be Not the best host in the Bible, but that's another sermon for another day. The point is, in the ancient Near East, unexpected guests were not uncommon. And when they arrived, even if it was inconvenient, you had to do your best in order to care for them. You remember the parable that Jesus gives in Luke 11 of the guy who goes to his neighbor at midnight asking to borrow three loaves of bread. Well, why does he do this? Well, it says at the end of Luke chapter 11, verse 5, lend me three loaves. Why? Verse 6, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. So even though it was late, they didn't have refrigerators. The guy had no food in his house. The guy is going to leave his house, go to his neighbor. Maybe his neighbor has something to offer. You fed people when they came into your house. And so it was commanded In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Why? Well, number one, you are commanded to do this because maybe, maybe you are tempted not to do it because of fear. Or number two, as I said, maybe fellow Christians who needed emergency housing, who were disowned by their families, needed hospitality, or maybe, number three, traveling strangers needed a place to sleep. I think those are at least some of the reasons why this reminder comes in this form at this time. But before we move on to the rest of the verse, let's define what we're talking about. Let's define what hospitality is. The word itself means love of strangers. And if you're reading this in the Greek, uh, there is a word play between verse 1, let brotherly love continue, and what we see in verse 2. You don't see it in English, but it would be very, very clear in Greek. In verse 1, which we covered last week, let brotherly love continue, the word brotherly love is Philadelphia. Now when we move into verse 2, it would be the Greek word Philozenia, which means love of strangers. You've heard of someone who is xenophobic, that is that they have a fear of strangers or a fear of foreigners. Well, well, this is the opposite of that. Uh, when you see Philadelphia, that is the love of brothers. Here, Philozenia is the love of strangers, not the fear of strangers, but the love of strangers. And if you would have read it in the Greek, the reader would be going along or the reader would be listening to someone else uh, read it and, and they would hear, love the brotherhood and love strangers. Now, as I think about these two words, Philadelphia and Philozenia, it's caused me to slightly, not absolutely, but to slightly 
rethink my definition of hospitality. I, from this pulpit, many times have preached on the subject of hospitality over the past 30 years, and I have often referred to it, hospitality, as opening up your home for meals and fellowships and Bible studies and church parties, etc. I still think that we should do that. In fact, I will ask you before the sermon is over to do that. I still think that we should do that. But I am now less convinced that doing that is defined as hospitality. I'm less convinced that doing it for the local brethren whom we know is actually by definition hospitality. Now, I'm not convinced enough to throw away the definition as I have used it all together. I'm just slightly rethinking it right now. Uh, I think, and I could be wrong, that categorically, when we open up our homes to the people that we already know, our fellow church members, I think that that falls into the category more of brotherly love. Now, here's the problem that I have as I'm preaching through the book of Hebrews right now. I didn't specifically last week, when talking about brotherly love, mention fellowship meals in your home, Bible studies, prayer meetings. I didn't mention that last week. The reason I didn't mention it last week is because I was saving it for this week, but now I think it actually belonged in last week's sermon, but because I didn't put it in last week's sermon, you're going to have to hear it today. So rewind 168 hours when we were here last week. I encourage you to use your home to minister to fellow church members. Uh, and, and, and why, you ask? Well, the reason why you should do it is because that is a form of brotherly love, and brotherly love should continue. So using your home to love people and to serve people is a good and glorious thing, whether it is overnight or whether it is just for a meal. <clears throat> side note, side note. Concerning brotherly love for one another, that is, using your home to serve people. A side note on this. Some of you are very willing to do this, but you simply cannot do this because now in life, for a variety of reasons, you are hindered from doing that. For example, maybe your landlord doesn't allow it. Uh, or maybe you have a family member who is not as open to having guests as you do. I, I couldn't just bring someone home to stay at our house if Anna didn't approve of that. If you're a married couple, you both have to agree to it. If you're staying in a place, you have to be in a place where your uh, landlord would allow that. Some of you are very willing to do this. You simply can't do it because... Either there is a spatial challenge or there is some relational hindrance or there's something else which prohibits you from doing it. If you are unable to do this, please do not listen to this sermon and feel guilty as though you were sinning because you are not sinning. If your home is not suited to receive guests, please do not feel guilty. You can be creative. There are other ways to show hospitality. 
Many years ago, we had a deacon at our church. His name was Wally McKenzie. Uh, Wally did not really have a place of his own. He was in a very small apartment for a short time, and then for the majority of his time with us, he was renting a room from someone. He didn't have a home of his own in order to show hospitality, but he was one of the most hospitable people that you would ever meet. He had a diner ministry, and so he would meet people frequently at diners for the purpose of fellowship and discipleship. He was a very hospitable people. And if you say, Pastor, I would love to use my home to serve God's people, but it's simply impossible. Circumstances will not allow that. I want to say to you, please do not listen to this sermon today and feel guilty. However, if your home indeed is suitable and you have a guest for a meal or a fellowship or even overnight guests, letting brotherly love continue or not neglecting to show hospitality, we'll move on now, and the majority of the application then will be for you. Now, maybe I'm wrong about my narrow definition of hospitality, and maybe it does include friends as well as strangers, although the text does say, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, but maybe it does include friends. Nevertheless, the same principle applies whether it is an overnight guest or whether it's someone who's just coming for a meal. Now, our applications today will be with a view toward both lodging overnight guests and toward opening your home for meals, Bible studies, fellowships, and parties, so forth. Maybe it's brotherly love. Maybe it's hospitality. Maybe it's both. Mm, maybe it's a combination. I'm not really sure. But here's one thing that I do know. That which drives it, that which motivates it, that which propels it is love. Love for the brethren, Philadelphia. Love for strangers, Philozenia. It's love. And where does love come from? First John chapter 4, verse 7, love is from God. He is the fountain. He is the source. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. And so you need to be careful as I move forward here, thinking about your own motives. Because it is possible to have an open door policy at your home and still not be hospitable. Let me say that again. It is very possible for you to have an open door policy at your home and still not be hospitable. Because to be hospitable, by definition, means to love. You say, well, how in the world is that possible? Well, I think that there are people who really like to cook, and they are good at cooking, and they know that they are good at cooking, and they love to cook for others, not so much because they love others, but because They are proud, and they love to hear others say how well they cook. And so they're not really doing it so much for other people. They are doing it for themselves. There's nothing wrong with being a gourmet chef, but it simply has to be accompanied with love and hospitality. Some people have an open-door policy. The reason that they have an open-door policy is because they have such lovely homes, and they want to show off their decor. Now, is it wrong to have a nice home with lovely decor? That's not wrong at all. But if the reason why you're inviting people in is because you want people to see the museum that you live in, that is, that is, that is motivated by selfishness. If you come to my house, if I invite you to my house in the month of April, you will be invited 
Not so much because I love you, but you will be invited because I want you to see my tulips. Um, Is it really boasting if you are the best? I don't know. Some people open their homes because it makes them feel good about themselves, or, or they delight in how their hospitality has earned them a reputation for being selfless. They don't really love the people that they're inviting, but they love the fact that people think that they're hospitable and the reputation that it carries. And other people have the open-door policy simply because they are party animals and they can't stand to be alone. Their hospitality is not fueled by love, but these people just love to be around other people. I want to show hospitality all night and party every day. Everybody's welcome because I love a party. See, the question is, do you love the people that you have in your home? It is a, is it a delight because you are serving them or because you are serving yourself? You know, the motives really play into this because in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says that it is quite possible to go so far as to give your body to be burned, oh my, oh my, and still not be loving. And so the key to this sermon is not how accessible is your home. The key is How much do you love? Although it is a fair question to ask how accessible is your home because if your home is never open or never available, that is an indicator that there is a lack of love. But it's not so much how often your home is open, it's do you love those to whom it is open? So love is the key to hospitality. And as I pointed out above, love is from God because God is love And how do I get this love? Well, the way that I get love to show it to other people is I remember the hospitality that has been shown to me in Christ Jesus. Uh, It is so important that we remember how we have been loved before we love other people. I remember listening to a message one time by Pastor Bill Shishko, who used to be at the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Franklin Square, and he made the point, and I think he's right, that we are saved by hospitality. Uh, We were not just homeless and hungry when he took us in. We had a home. That home was hell. We had a confirmed reservation there. The rent was paid in full by our sin. We had earned eternal damnation, and God in love changed that. He changed that booking by sending Jesus. Now stop right there. In order for Jesus to get us into God's heavenly house, he had to leave his home. And when he left his home, he was not greeted with hospitality. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He came to his own, and from the very beginning, there was no room at the inn. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus left his home in heaven so that he could make a way for us to go to his heavenly home. And in so doing, there was a price to pay. When I was in seminary, 
at what at the time was Columbia Biblical Seminary. Now it is called Columbia um, International University. I had a fellow classmate. His name was Bart Klan. He lived in what was known as the CBC Village, which was a trailer park, very inexpensive housing near the Bible College and the seminary. Bart lived there by himself. He was an evangelist. He was desirous to be a church planter. And he went into the community and he made friends with a homeless man. And in wishing to show love to this homeless man, he invited him into his trailer and that man killed him. Jesus came to show us the ultimate hospitality. And we killed him. And we killed him. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Who are you? You are a sinner. He did not come to lay down his life for those who were inclined to serve him. He died for his enemies. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. The gospel is of first importance. It is the gospel that propels us to be hospitable. You know when you take your child out um, to get something to eat or or you, you, you get them something. Let's just say for the sake of argument, you take them the drive through through McDonald's, who, by the way, have the best fries anywhere, and you buy them a Happy Meal, and there are a few fries in there, and you're not getting anything for yourself, but they have these French fries, and you say to the child, hey, could you give me one? And they bristle up. <laughs> and you're thinking, okay, I paid for these. I brought you here. I, I, I contributed in bringing you into the world. You do not have anything apart from me, and I am asking for a French fry. And you know how repelling it is when the child bristles up and will not offer it. How much more repelling is it when, when we think about who we were and what we have become, and remembering what Paul said, that a man can receive nothing unless it is given him from above. <gasps> Every breath... <gasps> that we take is a kind gift from God. He just keeps giving and giving and giving, and then we bristle up and say, mm, these are my fries. How did you get an invitation to go to Jesus' house and to eat an eternal meal? He paid the price with his death upon the cross for you so that you might be in heaven. Now that is love. And the Bible says in Matthew 10, 8, Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. We love God because he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you would stop and think about the deep, deep love of Jesus and how he is constantly hospitable toward you, the ultimate stranger, the enemy, well, then love would fill your heart. You see, your stuff and your schedule would not be so guarded, but you would gladly be available to extend love to strangers in Jesus' name. Now, I have been shown love now, and so what I will do is I will show love to others. It has always been my joy to extend hospitality and I'm very thankful that God allowed me to marry a woman who is of the same mind. 
Humanly speaking, let me tell you where I got this. I have this mindset in part because of the way that I was treated 41 years ago. 41 years ago, I transferred from the University of Pittsburgh to the University of Georgia, going from the north into the deep south. As I was there, I was culturally a fish out of water. I did not have any friends. I did not have an automobile. I didn't have hardly any money, and I was very, very out of place. But my girlfriend at the time, her father, Lieutenant Colonel Verlin E. Westmoreland, constantly opened his home to me and loved me and showed me hospitality. My name is Ed. I am from Du Bois, and I've always depended on the kindness of strangers, which is a line from Blanche Dubois. I have been shown hospitality. Yesterday, Lieutenant Colonel Verlin E. Westmoreland was buried in Georgia at the age of 89. And providentially, as I think about his life and I reflected upon the way that he and his wife Barbara showed love to me, I am reminded now that in part, the reason why I like to show hospitality is because that's the way that I was treated. After I no longer had her as a girlfriend, I then had Anna as a girlfriend, and her parents showed me great hospitality. When I graduated from college, I did not have any money. I showed up my first day of work with less than $10 in my pocket waiting for the first paycheck. And I remember how George and Kathy Vaughn let me live in their house for six months. And then how Sonny and Emma Devers let me live in their house for another six months. It was great hospitality that was shown to me. I know how valuable it is. Therefore, I am inclined to show it to other people. And maybe you have never been shown hospitality. Maybe you don't have a great example that has been put in front of you, such as I had. Even so, you have been shown great hospitality and kindness from Christ. And so I ask you this question. Do you think that it is appropriate for you to have received so much and then be reminded and commanded to be hospitable and then refuse to show hospitality or practical love to strangers? I know that you know that that is inappropriate. As I said, love is from God. That love was shown to us in Christ based upon the gospel, and that love produces love for the brethren and love for strangers, and that love has practical outworkings like meals and beds and pillows and towels and showers. So my question is, how tight a grip do you have on your stuff, your home, your schedule, and your affections. Jesus gave up all things, and by faith in him, we alone are saved. But now that we are saved, Jesus calls us to follow him and to obey him. And, and he puts it this way in the parable of the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25, 35. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And they ask, well, you, you, we never welcomed you. We you were never in our house. And then Jesus says in Matthew 25, 40, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, 
you did it to me. You see, hospitality is a practical and tangible way of showing that we love Jesus himself. So Jesus calls us to follow him. As we close out this verse, notice that some of those who showed hospitality in the past got a surprise and a reward. The verse says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The word entertain doesn't mean that that they did card tricks for the, the angels or that they sang karaoke for them. It just means that they took them in and they provided lodging and food for them. <clears throat> this is a reference to Genesis chapter 18. I alluded to it earlier, where Abraham and Sarah received three visitors uh, in human form. They don't know who they are at first. One of them is the Lord. The other two are angels, but they look like human beings. He didn't know who they were, and yet he showed them great hospitality. This verse is not saying that you should invite everyone into your house on the off chance that you might be getting an angel. We have had literally hundreds of people stay at our house, and none of them have been angels. Alec Millen, definitely not an angel. Jacob Heifert, definitely, definitely not an angel. And so this is not, hey, invite someone in because you never know, you just never know. It means that we are to host and to care for people, even as Lot did for the angels. And in so doing, there will be a blessing which will be both large and unexpected. Yes, you are helping them, the verse says. But in many cases, they are going to be the ones who help you. Either their presence or their teaching or their joy or their example or their friendship or their love is going to be of greater value to them than what they showed you. I had no idea. I had no idea when I invited unsaved Harry Fujiwara to my house on September 30th, 2007, that he would become the great Harry Fujiwara, the pastor of the First Baptist Church in the city of New York. He was just a guy who had been attending the church. That was a great blessing. I had no idea in May of 2011 when Molly Brown from Becker, Minnesota, moved into our house to stay in our basement to be an intern for the summer. I had no idea. You want to talk about an angel? I had no idea that she would marry our son and give us four grandkids. Now, I'm not saying that every guest is going to have angelic magnitude, but there are times, by grace, when your guest exhibits both great and unexpected blessings for you which you did not know that you were going to get when you first invited them in. That being said, let me give you six points of application and then five points where you can perhaps apply it immediately. The first point of application comes to guests. This is not those that are being hospitable. These are those who are receiving hospitality. 
Application point number one, do not overstay your welcome. Know when it is time to go. Proverbs 25, 17 says, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. It's good to visit, but it's also good to leave. The Didache, which was Christian instruction, which was written in either the first or second century for how Christians were to live their lives, says this. Let every apostle who comes to you be received as the Lord, but he must not stay more than one day or two if absolutely necessary. If he stays three days, he is a false prophet. If he asks for money, he is a false prophet. End quote. Side note, 1997, we took a pastor, or so he called himself, from India, Ezra Vejapugo, into our home, and he swindled from us and churches that we connected him with hundreds of thousands of dollars. He was a thief and a fraud. Um, But that is another sermon for another day. Back to the point. Love for strangers is not intended to be permanent housing or to be an endless Bible study. Know when it is time to go and gracefully leave. Number two, hospitality is required for eldership. If you study the requirements for elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, and in Titus chapter 1, verse 8, you will note that one of the absolute requirements in order to be an elder is that you have to be given to hospitality. As you consider elders for the future, by the way, we are now at North Shore Baptist Church, four elders here. We are in need of other elders. But as you consider elders for the future, look at them and ask yourself the question, do they exercise hospitality? Because that is a requirement. Now, here's a side note. Hospitality is not a spiritual gift. I've heard people say, you know, I would love to show hospitality, but that's not my gift. Well, hospitality is not a spiritual gift. I don't have the gift of hospitality. Nobody has the gift of hospitality. It's like love. Everybody has to have it. Nobody is exempt from it. I find it very interesting that when we are looking for pastors or elders, Uh, we often ask the question, and we should ask the question, can this person preach or teach? That needs to be answered. But the same Bible that requires an elder to preach or teach also requires that they be hospitable. So this is for everyone, but it is required for elders and pastors. Application point number three, do it, show hospitality without grumbling. Do it, show hospitality without complaining. First Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why would Peter write this? Well, because often we are those that do what we do in the Christian life because we are supposed to do it, but we often do it with a bad attitude. And, and when it comes to hospitality, everybody has a good attitude as long as our guests are respectful and they don't break our stuff. A great attitude. If they come, they go, they break nothing. 
But when someone exits your home and the wear and tear which they have caused upon your property is disproportionate to the length of the stay, uh, in other words, if they break something, the tendency is to grumble. The tendency is to complain about the fact that we invited this person into our house They broke this thing. They left. They didn't even say that they were sorry. We didn't even discover it until after they left. For me, here's my personal pet peeve. You can knock me down. You can step on my face. You can slander my name all over the place. But never, under any circumstances, should you ever take a glass which is filled with ice water and the effervescence from it is beating up on the outside of the glass and put it down directly on a wood surface without a coaster because if you do that it will leave a permanent mark let me preach now i'm sorry oh i'm blocking the mark it's right there it's forever there it will never leave this is a lovely old desk There's my wife, her father, her mother, more. It's lovely. There's a permanent mark left by a glass put on a wood surface. I jest, sort of. Here's what Peter says. That mark on that wood surface is unfortunate. But don't complain. Don't grumble. It is an honor to show hospitality. It is a privilege to serve the brethren. And by loving and being generous, do not be so stiff and uptight about your stuff. And I want to give you full disclosure right now. I don't want anybody to be deceived. If you start to open your home and be more hospitable, you will discover that not all house guests are created equally. But kingdom values will allow us to use our home and the things in our homes for his glory and the good and comfort of other people. We are to do it, but we must do it with a good attitude. Number four, it's your move. Just like with brotherly love, it's your move. Pursue it. You be the one to initiate the opening of your home. Romans chapter 12, verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Look at that word seek. It means that you are to be leaning forward, looking for opportunities and vigorously being the one who initiates. Seek, be the initiator, be on the lookout for those who need help, for those who could use encouragement and a meal. Do not wait to be asked. Be aggressive. B-E, aggressive. Alexander Strzok, who wrote a book entitled Hospitality Commands, speaks about a couple in a church who felt very left out because no one ever invited them to their home. And so what this couple decided to do, rather than to feel sorry for themselves, they decided that over the course of a year that they would invite everyone in the church into their home for a meal. Now, probably the size of our church makes this an overly ambitious uh, goal, but you can ask someone. You should be the initiator. Uh, Consider again the gospel. In your salvation, 
God is the one who took the initiative. You were running from him. He chased after you. He caught you. He regenerated you. He saved you. He brought you into his fold. You now be the one to initiate. It is your move. Number five. This is where I just love this point because it's really going to make you mad. Here we go. Number five, break up the click. Break up the click. I know of a situation where there are four couples. Uh, not, this is not in New York. It's in another state. There are four couples, and every Friday night of life, these four couples get together and go out to a restaurant together or do something together. No one else is ever invited. It is always those four and no more. <clears throat> I'm very happy that they are getting to know one another, but it has been going on for years. I think it's very easy and it's very comfortable and it requires no emotional energy to get together with the same people over and over. And if these are people that you like, it makes it even more easier. But compare that to what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But what are we supposed to do? When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't, cannot repay you. No, just stop right there. I understand what he's, what he's talking about here, but if we move it into our context, we often meet with the people that we meet with because we are comfortable with them and they make us feel good and it's not awkward at all. And so in a sense, there is your repayment. In reaching out to people that you don't know, it is very possible that it will be stiff and it will be awkward and you might have a little bit of trouble getting the plane off the ground. It might be that they are the most fascinating people that you ever meet, and I think all people are fascinating. So as it goes there, I think you should be expanding your borders and your horizons. But Jesus says here the motive needs to be not what will be done for you, but what you will do for others. And you will be blessed, verse 14, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so break up the click. Factions have always existed in middle school cafeterias and in churches, and we can't stop it. We wish we could. And I am not saying that it is bad that you have close friends, but when you never expand beyond the same old crowd, I would just say it, first of all, for your sake, for your sake, don't you ever get bored with the same old, same old? I mean, I love everybody in this room. It's Valentine's Day. I stand up here to preach. I look you in the eye and I say, I love you. But if I had to spend time with any one of you all the time, other than you, I would lose my mind. So just for the sake of boredom, expand your borders for your sake. But the other reason that you do it is, have you ever considered that in your inner circle, Have you ever considered that there are other people in the church that are not being invited? 
that these people are not being cared for. And so I would say, anytime that you're in a room, look around the room and ask yourself, is everybody in the room receiving fellowship and encouragement? And if they are not, it is your move. You go, break up the click, the person that you're comfortable talking with, and go speak to someone else. Break up the click. Number six, exercise Christian hospitality and Christian fellowship should be Christian fellowship. Here's what I mean by that. And I find it is very ironic that I'm making this point on Super Bowl Sunday. So please, if you're gathering with people tonight, do not feel guilty about watching the football game with fellow Christians. I myself don't really care for the NFL. There are other sports that I do like. It's just a matter of preference. But please don't listen to this sermon tonight and then be watching the game. And in the middle of the game, in the middle of the fourth quarter with the score tied, say, Pastor Ed said this is supposed to be Christian fellowship and turn off the TV and say we need to pray right now. I'm not talking about that. You don't have to turn every party into a Bible study or a hymn sing. However, if when gathering with other Christians you never sing hymns, or you never pray, or you never share testimonies, or you never read scripture, or you never give mutual encouragement, or you never confess sins or struggles, then it's not really Christian fellowship. Somehow we have defined Christian fellowship as eating snacks without cursing. It's more than that. It's sharing your common life in Jesus. So this past year, I preached a missions conference in Michigan. We were staying at the home of Dave and Nicole Delfino. For the nights that we stayed there, six consecutive days, they invited people over to their home after the service, and most nights that fellowship would go on well past midnight. And as we sat there in their home, I mean, it was normal. We were having normal conversation but it would gravitate toward and it would lock in at biblical, spiritual, God-honoring Christian fellowship. There's nothing wrong with talking about sports or politics or family or work or weather or hobbies or health. They all have their place. I like to talk about some of those things. And by the way, I am personally repelled by the super spiritual Christian who obnoxiously chastens people for having normal conversations. They could be talking to someone about sports and they'll walk up and abruptly, aggressively say, let's talk about Jesus because none of that stuff is important. Well, I'm repelled by that. I'm, 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 I'm talking about what we should have as an overflow in our gatherings is a natural outworking of conversations about the Lord. Uh, th- there are appropriate times to talk about the weather and sports, there are appropriate times to talk about Jesus and his word. So, when you gather, be the one who initiates, hey, we need to open the word now. Or, let's sing some hymns. Or, does anybody have any prayer requests? Or, could someone share what the Lord is teaching them in the reading in the word? Or, Let's talk about the sermon from last Sunday. What are some ways that we can apply it? Christian fellowship should be Christian. Likewise, when an unbeliever is invited to your home, by all means, be kind, feed them, be interested in them, chat it up. But at some point, you have to get to the point, and the point is the gospel. Don't be intimidated to talk to fellow believers about your common faith in Jesus Christ, and don't be intimidated to talk to unbelievers about their need for salvation. Christian fellowship should be Christian fellowship. 
<clears throat> so here are some ways specifically that you can immediately ply this sermon. I have five of them. Number one, we at this church have sent out a missionary. Her name is Crystal Diaz. Crystal um, is a missionary in the DR. Uh, she is a single mother, and she is experiencing some health concerns and is back here in the States to get those health concerns addressed. Um, she has a place to stay right now, and then after that ends, she's going to stay for a season with the Wolford family. And by the way, the Wolfords have six children living at home at this time, and he is not even a member of this church. They're a member of a sister church. I would say if you have space... Take them in for a while. Show hospitality to Crystal and her son. She has transportation. She has wheels. She just needs a place to stay. And so if you'd be willing to do that, see Pastor Keith. Pastor Keith, would you raise your hand so that they know who you are and where you are? See him if you're willing to do that. Number two, we have some students that are going to be coming here from the University of Georgia on a mission trip from Cleveland Road Baptist Church. They're going to be here from the 4th through the 11th of March. And they need to sleep somewhere. And so if you have an extra bed and you can take a student or two, see me. I'm right here. See me and house them. Number three, this coming summer, Lord willing, we will be having from the end of May till the end of July interns. Would you please pray about taking an intern this summer? Number four, next Sunday night is church night. Once a month, we do this at five o'clock. We worship together, we do the Lord's Supper, and we also share a meal together. And in the sharing of that meal together, please don't skip it. Please come and please use that meal so as to get to know and to love the brethren if you are not providentially hindered. And last, here we go. If you have a table and you have chairs and you have a landlord and or a spouse which will permit it, use that space to serve the brethren. Use it frequently. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality because Jesus Christ has shown such warmth and hospitality to you. This wasn't terribly deep theologically. But it's very practically. It wasn't hard to understand. I think you understood all of it. It is so hard to do. And if we are to do it, we need grace. May God give us this grace. Father in heaven, give us grace to be hospitable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.